Hello, guys. Welcome to our show. Today we discuss about B2B data privacy concerns and how data is being collected. It's very important today because we have many things, many issues and uh, things change fast. That's why I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Sky Cassidy. How are you? Good. I'm doing great this morning. Love this topic, of course. So uh, excited to come on and talk about it. It's always a little touchy, but nice, it's nice. a touchy subject. <laughs> of course, of course. Okay, uh, Sky, before we start, just remind about yourself, experience, background, because I think my audience knows you, but I get new audience, uh, get new subscribers who can listen to all podcast episodes. And uh, just more about your self-experience and how you collect data today. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I'm the CEO of Mountaintop Data. We're a business-to-business -business, uh, contact information company. We provide lists basically for sales and marketing activities, direct marketing activities, people doing uh, you know phone calling, direct email, direct mail, um, social media outreach. We provide the targeted information for those kind of uh, interactions. So we are, you know, knee deep at least in the data privacy area mm -hmm. nice nice okay uh let's talk about how to collect data because you know i see when companies uh get it wrong uh, they usually use tools uh online studies but i think uh you can get the average data uh and each case is different and it's not like to have uh, one tool or a few tools uh, it's more about to know what your audience needs or your customers uh, want to get so can you tell more about that how to collect data today yeah ideally every company would just have all the information they need to reach out to everybody within their perfect target audience so that they could be in front of them and the best product would win in a, you know, some sort of marketing competition to, to say, here's what we have to offer, but that's just not how things work. Um, you know, the information is not all perfectly out there. Uh, it people have to pull it together and, and provide it. And you have things like events and you have things like shopping malls and they have things and they're all designed to bring a certain group of people together. So, people can show them their wares and those people can find those wares that they, that they want and need. And the people selling them can sell the wares they need to. Um, but when it comes to the direct marketing data um, and how that stuff's collected and the privacy around it, and I'm talking here purely about uh, B2B. I know I mentioned shopping malls, but purely B2B, we don't touch consumer data. So it's kind of a different world. A lot of these laws around data privacy cross over between both worlds, um, but they're primarily focused on the consumer side and the business side is kind of an afterthought usually, um, if, if a thought at all. They're looking at these so big social media companies and stuff like that, usually with these laws and they have specific things they're looking to prevent, but it affects, you know, it affects all of us. Um, anyway, so... Uh, I, probably helpful now to reset to what was your original question uh i mean like how to collect data i mean like uh, what kind of mm. methods to use to collect data because uh if we have tools studies but uh how to make it differently how to learn our customers before oh. uh of course sorry content. i have yeah. a very short <laughs> train of thought and i wanted to get a drink of coffee so i was distracting there <laughs> um so collecting data first with the obvious don't do this areas um, 
you know, you have a data company like us. We're a list company. There's tons of list companies out there. And they're offering you a million records for, um, um, you know, $99. That's a terrible way of collecting data. Um, it's guaranteed to all be garbage data. Any way you use it is going to be a waste of time. And if you do email with it, it's going to be, you know, you're going to get your email platform shut down. It's probably riddled with spam traps and everything else in it is old information. That's why it's $99 for some obscene amount of records. Your target audience probably isn't even as big as the number of records they're offering. There's just so many things obviously wrong with it. But people say, oh, but let me just, it's only this much money. I'm just going to try this. And it's like, that's a huge, huge mistake there. If you're doing physical mailers, that's a complete waste of uh, money um, setting those things up and sending them. If you're having your reps, oh, just have my reps call on these. You don't realize you're burning your your sales reps and your sales development reps. They're wasting their time, starting to hate your company, starting to hate your sales and marketing practices, and starting to hate you. And that is really not something you want. So clean data is important. Safe data is important. Another terrible don't do is don't get some data scraping tool that goes and scrapes emails from online. That was a bad practice in like 2006. Now it's a horrific practice in that the number one thing that's going to happen to you is you're going to get blacklisted everywhere. The emails that are online are primarily seeds put out there specifically to catch people that are scraping stuff with these tools and emailing to them and blacklist the heck out of them. So you're just going to destroy your reputation, your domain, your email providers are going to drop you, that kind of stuff. So those are a couple really easy things people fall for, but it's like, don't do that. So, I'm not here to say the only option is to come to us and buy a list. We're a option. There's there's a handful of quality data companies out there, um, but just don't go for one of these things that you know that's going to get you in trouble. Don't don't go don't, don't go that route. Um, mm -hmm. Another option, of course, is just building your own contact information. Your in-house list is going to be your most valuable list. Uh, so the the prospects and clients that you have, hopefully you have a CRM that you have in your CRM, the, that's your best list. The people you're reaching out to regularly, you know who they are, you know they're part of your target audience, you know they either buy or will likely one day are, are your best contacts. You want to regularly add to that because you're having turnover in your industry. Ideally, you would have your total addressable market, your TAM, completely identified. And you know some companies have a couple hundred companies that they sell to and that's it. That's their whole audience. Um, and so it's pretty easy for them to just manually identify all of them and keep that up to date. Great. But most of us have a much larger audience. You're not going to be able to have it all, but you want to get the largest segment possible of your, um, you know, your best target audience, total addressable market there. And that's where if it's fairly small, you can build it out yourself. You can find a specialty database provider if you're in a specialty industry. Um, you know, say you're looking for nurses. We have nurses in our database, but there's there's list companies out there that focus specifically on nurses or you get into, um, you know, some sort of a nurses directory, some sort of a nurses organization, and, and then you can directly market to them from within there. Great. That's a great way to access that kind of um, get that kind of information into your system so you can get them on your newsletters or whatever you're doing for marketing. Um, and then, of course, really the. The final place to go that's not a that's not a bad source, of course, is a list company like like us and us and a handful of other companies, and we we provide a good service with 
with good information. It's never going to be completely accurate, but it helps you get an audience that you're not going to otherwise have and directly reach out to them. Uh, we like to say, you know, your next 10 customers are in our database right now. You just have mm -hmm. to come get them and reach out to them. They're there. Nice. nice. Um, I think, you know, all companies have their uh, advantages, disadvantages. Can you tell about your strong side, about your unique selling proposition? Because you mentioned that you have a bunch of competitors, other companies that uh, are great with their services. So what is your strong side? Uh, contact information. And, um, you know, there's only a handful of quality B2B data companies out there. We do a lot of scoring on everything, everything possible we score. We have a score for how hostile somebody is when you're going to reach out to them. We have scores for the likelihood someone's actually a human versus a fake online persona. Um, and then we have combinations of all these scores. We have scores on the phone number accuracy. We have scores on everything in our database. And then those all combine into a contact score. And then that merges with all the company information for a, a record score. So we're heavily based on scoring, allows us to do a lot of uh, machine learning type things um, in order to not decide if a record's good or bad, but one, decide which which data point to go with when we have multiple possibilities from multiple sources for a value in a field. So let's say an address. We have multiple potential addresses. Which one is the actual address? We know the company only has one location. Did they move or not? And which one's the most uh, the accurate location? Um, so we, we use scoring to figure that kind of stuff out. We have scoring on our sources. So this source of data has a score for how accurate this specific field is within its, you know, as an original source of data, let's say a common one. And when you talk about data privacy would be government information. There's a lot of government information out there. The government publishes tons of information, new business registrations, all kinds of other stuff, business licenses, all kinds of information is available publicly. Uh, and that's a good thing because capitalism requires companies to be able to market to other companies and people, um, you know, with hopefully as little obstacle in the way as possible. Um, so it's good mm -hmm. to be able to get this information. That's basic information. We really, I think, excel at the contact level information and the location level information. We've always found it important to have location information and been shocked when we look at other companies. And they're really just like, great, have a company is the main thing for us. Oh, let's have some contacts. But every data point is for the headquarters. They don't really care about multiple locations. That's messy. It's difficult. So some companies just stay away because most of the people buying the data aren't very savvy about exactly what they're getting until they've been burned a handful of times. And then they start mm -hmm. asking questions like, is this phone number for the actual where the person's at? Or is this just a general 800 number for the help desk? Um, so we spend a lot of time and energy working on that uh, location specific information and making sure we have that as accurate as possible for people in our database. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And uh, you mentioned about this scoring. Uh, uh, I found that uh, most uh, scoring systems are estimation and uh, uh, sometimes they can provide wrong data, sometimes accurate. Can you tell about uh, how you can estimate accuracy of your uh, scoring system and how businesses can learn from the scoring system to mm. understand what they need to do? That's a good point. Scoring, in my opinion, for these purposes is always an estimation, and that's the point of it. 
is to make an estimation. If you took the scoring down as simple as possible, you would say it's a one or a zero. You go binary on it. Um, and that's a terrible mistake because you're saying we either know this or don't know this. And rarely with data, do you actually really know something? You have a likelihood of something being what it's said to be there. Uh, I like to say that two plus two is somewhere between three and five when it comes to data. It's it's never exactly four because you never have exactly two and exactly two. It's, uh, you know, those that, that that's a hypothetical made up world where you have these perfect numbers. Uh, you, you don't have exactly that. You have some teeny fraction off one direction or the other. So in scoring, um, yeah, the whole point is to put a bunch of data points together to come up with a likelihood something is or isn't something. Um, and that's always being adjusted. You know, we're always looking at the scoring saying, this seems to be off. This seems to be, and that's really, I think if you came down to it, it's almost like saying, Hey, all the data out there. And most of us data companies have access to the same information. We have some things we do that are unique. And some of these other companies do too. I get threatened to be sued every once in a while when I talk about some other companies' data practices because they really don't want people to hear um, about how they're collecting some of this information. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of issues in the past. It's why we have these data laws is because companies will do crazy things to get volumes of information on people. They will start whole other companies that don't actually exist or do actually exist purely for the purpose of collecting information. They'll create you know, applications and games just to scrape information. They, they do all kinds of crazy things. Anyway, um, I think I was uh, on the topic of scoring. Um, so we do all this stuff for the scoring, but it's really just kind of a general idea. When we start out with a scoring model, it's usually somebody just has to make make it up. They just have to say like, okay, let's start with these numbers. And we have some, some basic, uh, you know, you may say we're going to score between one and a hundred for everything or one to 10. And we're going to use decimals, which mine's will be one to a hundred or, you know, whatever, whatever range you're deciding to do, hopefully not one or zero. Um, you just kind of pick it. There's no real reason other than we have, we need to have a range. Um, and then you just kind of pick like, well, hey, what's the threshold for good and bad? Well, there's a couple ways. You can say, what's the threshold for good and bad? Or you can reverse engineer it and say, here's the data points. Let's apply. Machine learning makes this all a ton easier, but that's the manual version of machine learning. And let me know if I'm getting too boring here. Um, or you basically say, we have 10 data points. They're each going to be worth, mm -hmm. uh, let's say you're scoring one to 100. They're each going to be worth 10 points. And uh, I don't know how you decide whether they get uh, 10 points or not maybe it's either a yes yes or no you go binary at that point you either get 10 or you don't get 10 um and this is an oversimplification of things and then you just yeah. say is this data point a good or a bad if it has this good if it doesn't have this bad okay and then you add up and you say oh great we had 70 points for this record and you score all your records and then you go manually look at them again this is kind of manual machine learning you say okay which ones were actually right and then you make adjustments yeah. And then you'd yeah. either say, let's set the threshold for right and wrong here, because this looks like this is where we got it. Or usually you find some data points where you say, this point seems to be overweighted. We're saying this is just as important as this when it's not. But it, that takes a human to look at usually and say, um, again, outside of machine learning, where you you just say, here's the known values on the end of this. And then here's all the uh, 
the data points and let it make the adjustments on what's more important and what indicates something being the outcome you want, accurate or not accurate, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of nuance that can go into scoring. Um, mm-hmm. It's a lot easier just to say good or bad, which is what a lot of companies do. Uh, but I think we get way more accuracy and at different levels of the data. And people come to us and they say, our records are primarily sorted by record score. But some people will say, I'm really most interested in the phone number. We're calling on these. We say, great. Well, let's search for you by the phone score then. We're not going to be as interested in the other fields. It's the phone score. Uh, How likely is it that this phone number actually belongs to this person? That when you call, this phone number belongs to the location that this person's at. The person's actually there. They're actually employed. This is actually who they are. Are all minor parts of the score. But the main importance to them is that the phone number is accurate. Great. Now we can switch over and focus on that phone number. And then if they say, yeah, these phone numbers weren't accurate enough, we say, okay, let's just, for this particular list, we're just going to change the score level. Um, Mm -hmm. We were requiring a certain score to get for the data to be available to you before. Now, when we provide you data, we're just going to up that score and say it has to be higher scoring than it was before. And then if we run into issues with the data sets, then we have to dig into the scoring mess and figure out why is our process not giving us the results it should here? What variable are we overweighting or underweighting um, and or do we just have the threshold set at the wrong spot? What changed? Things changes all the things change all the time. And um, that's really the job in this industry is maintaining the data, data collection, where you get it from, making sure you have good data privacy practices. All that's great. But the important thing really is you have the ability to maintain the data. If you're starting with zero, you need to build data. Always need to get new information. Yes. But really a big part of the new information you need to get so you can maintain it because other than people, coming into the job market um, and dropping out of the job market, you really have the same people and they're going around from job to job. And in business data, that's the job is making sure new companies you have in your database. Um, People who are coming out of college and joining the workforce, you're getting them into your system if possible, and you have information on them available. And then people changing jobs. Uh, We've sold our data set to companies in the past that wanted to start a data company because we knew they couldn't maintain it. So we weren't creating a competitor. Who cares? The data is going to go bad. We're selling them apples and they think they're going to come apple farmers. It doesn't work that way. You have to actually have the ability to grow and maintain an apple farm. Um, so the job here really is maintaining this data because it's constantly going bad. Half-life of business data set is typically two years. So every two years, you're losing 50% of your data. People come to us wanting us to append information to their data. We say, oh, when was the last time you used this? four years ago, okay, great. It's going to be 75% wrong Mm -hmm. now, depending on the target audience, uh, top level CEOs, those kind of things obviously have lower turnover, salespeople, IT people, extremely high turnover. Um, But on average, yeah, you're looking at about two years. And then in the last couple of years, forget about it during COVID, it's insane. Turnover, it wasn't even a real thing. Half the people that weren't working were still employed, but even but weren't there. And it just things got really bizarre and now we're getting back to normal but there's mass layoffs so turnover is extremely high in certain sectors and uh that maintenance job is just always a challenge nice nice got it valuable okay i have the question about uh data privacy concerns and let me share a story once i read the book about um and uh, that was a great example about pregnant uh, women 
uh, you know, uh, when uh, they buy something in grocery store, they usually change habits uh, if they get pregnancy. Uh, and uh, some stores can collect this data and send them pictures when it's time. And uh, many women are angry about that. They can get the feeling that someone follow them, uh, steal their information, how they can do it. And for example, you know, uh, I got the same feeling a few days ago because I usually uh, uh, work out with my son in the morning. We go uh, outside to pull ups. It's proof. No, yeah, I can show my hands. It's proof. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> oh, those are uh, some pull up hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, then I came back home open YouTube and I saw a few videos about pull-ups, how to do it right. And I got, wow, I never watched this video on YouTube. Why YouTube decided to recommend these videos? Uh, That's pretty because... specific. That's a little worrying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, I had the same uh, conversations with my friends who told me after speaking some uh, information on phone, they got this uh, uh, marketing ads ads about what they spoke you know on phone so people have this feeling uh, i i have no idea how uh youtube uh found the way that i'm interested about this topic but uh, i got it so can you tell how to decrease the feeling of uh when people don't want uh, when someone follow them to steal their data and uh, to pitch it right so because you're paranoid doesn't mean you're wrong and something being a conspiracy doesn't make it not true. There are crazy conspiracies yeah. and then there are actual conspiracies. We have the word and there's, you know, whole laws around conspiring. It's something that people and companies do and increasingly do when it comes to data. You hear these stories of things like electronics that have microphones built into them when there's no need for a microphone. It's not supposed to be a, a listening device. It's only an audio device. Why is there a microphone in it? Um, companies are definitely trying to gather all the information they can on you. So there's the famous, uh, I think it was Target story of them providing their, looking at people's buying habits, what they're buying in the store, tracking, because you get a card. You want the discount. You get the card. They get information on you. That's the deal. So here's the thing with data privacy. People get upset when they make information public and then people know that. When you choose to make it public, that's not a data privacy issue. It's okay for people to know everything you make public. And this is yeah. where people think, uh, I did a talk called You Don't Own Your Data. Um, you don't own your data. Anything you put out there, you don't own. You don't own so much about you that you want to think you claim and own, but anything you put out in public, don't get upset. The problem I have is when companies are, are doing things that are either illegal, but they don't care because they know they're going to make more money off the data than if they ever get caught, what it would cost them, or just really crazy gray area, or it seems illegal, but their lawyers say, yeah, this could be gray. It's weird. Lawyers either go one way or another. They're either justifying whatever actions the business wants. And they're like, oh, no, we're going to find a way that this could be considered legal. Or they just typically uh, the law department is the no department. They're just there to tell everybody, nope, you can't do that. Nope, you can't say that. Nope, we're going to make everything take a lot longer. Somehow with these big companies, the law department seems to be more of a 
uh, you know, the lawyers for uh, the Cosa Nostra or something like that. And their job is to um, make excuses for why they can do certain things. Anyway, data is being collected on you in all different ways. Primarily, it's stuff you make available publicly on purpose and it's compiled. You get things like the whole, hey, is my phone listening to me? This is really weird. If your phone's listening to you when you're not on it, that's bad. If it's listening to you even when you are on it, that can be bad. Most likely any listening that's going on is not the phone itself, but some app that was installed because your kid wanted to play a game and that app has been given access to your microphone, even though it doesn't seem it needs it. It just asks for that and you can't play the game unless you give it this access. So you give it the access and then it's actually listening and collecting data for marketing purposes. That's just too valuable for companies not to collect that stuff. Even if what they're doing is illegal, it's probably created in some foreign country somewhere. And until it gets escalated enough, then they're selling the data to these ad serving networks because the data is available and there's a lot of money in it. That kind of stuff's really fishy. The whole, hey, I was talking about this. I was doing this. Here's the thing that's much more direct that I've noticed and I have a problem with because I feel it crosses the fine line of data privacy. And most people are just like data privacy, good or data privacy, bad, depending on what they do for a living. There is a fine line in there and the nuances really, really, really matter. You don't want to make everything locked down and private the way they did with GDPR, I think, although. Most people are just violating it um, from what I've seen over there and saying, hey, until they actually clamp down and start busting people with this or, yeah, we know it's a law, but it's not really designed to be used on us. So we're going to violate it. Um, anyway, the, the, the fine details really matter. Uh, getting back to the collection thing, something that I noticed recently, it's been going on for a while, I'm sure, but this is a real thing. And I don't know what's collecting and selling the information, but appears it appears that many of the services as companies we pay for, things like your lines of communication, the way your customers talk to you and you talk to your customers, um, are selling information on who you're interacting with to ad networks so they can provide display ads. And the way they appear to be getting away with this is they say, oh, there's no data privacy violation because this is not identifiable information. They take the information and they're using the generic contact information with no person attached to it so they can serve ads. Then it doesn't matter. But who, you know, so whoever's having the ads served doesn't say, get to know here's the person's name and all their other information, but they still get to get the ads served. And here's where it gets really weird. You talk about, uh, the phone, it appears when you make a phone call on many devices now, many services that you're paying for this phone service as a business. And let's say you call a client somewhere along that call, the fact that your phone number, which they have associated with your business and what your business does is calling their phone number. They're making the connection of saying, this is intent. This is saying this person is interested in this kind of business. Now that person's number and IP is going to go into a pool for ad retargeting. It's being sold to these ad retargeting people. Um, so they're making money. It goes into a pool of people that whatever business you do, um, let's say you're in the business of pull-ups. It's not a real business, I know, but unless you're talking about baby's diapers. Um, yeah. But it's a very specific niche. 
and you call somebody, a client, to talk to them about, you know, their pull-ups, <laughs> that's a really specific thing. Now, suddenly, that client starts seeing ads served to them on these ad networks, the display ads on their phone, online, everywhere, about pull-ups. Like, that's weird. I'd never... Let's say you, you actually, you didn't call a, uh, a client, you called a friend. Now your friend's seeing those. You've never talked to your friend about your business. You guys don't, he doesn't care about your business, but he's seeing ads for pull-ups all of a sudden. Why is that? Oh, it's because Anatoly called you and that happens to be his business. And because he called on that line, that calls associated with what he does, pull-ups. And now you're going to start seeing ads on pull-ups. Essentially, somewhere along that line, part of that service chain that you're paying for as a means of reaching out to your clients theoretically it could have been a client. It was a friend in this case. Um, that information is being sold. So the fact that you work so hard to get that, let's say it's a client now, hypothetically to get that client, you spent so much money to generate the lead, to get them in as a client. And now you're counting on that, uh, you know, lifetime value of the customer, whatever it is. Well, some other company is paying to have ads served to that target audience. That information is being stolen from you essentially by the company that you're paying for the service to reach out to your customer, sold to your competitors or to an ad network so that they can get paid for display ads of your competitors, direct competitors, because it's exactly what you do that they're being advertised to, to be put in front of your client at the point that you're in contact with them. To me, that is a massive, massive violation of who knows how many things, but, uh, I don't know if there's a data privacy. I think again, they get around it by anonymizing it. They say, no, 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 it's not Anatoly. It's not his, it's not his company. All we're doing is making the connection that here's what the industry is. And then anybody that we have as a client that wants to, um, that wants to, that has that type of, in that type of industry and wants to market that type of service. Um, we're going to now show those ads, their ads to this audience. This whole pool that we're putting together of all the people, anybody who interacts, everybody you call, in fact, every single one of your customers is now going to be seeing ads directly for um, for your competitors. And they're just being I, I consider it. I don't know if it's a data privacy issue or a corporate espionage issue, but there's definitely a major issue there. And anytime I see a chain where that happens, it's very hard to nail down exactly where it's coming from. It could be an app you have on your phone. It could be your actual phone carrier. I don't know. Um, but somewhere along that line, something that you're paying for is stealing that information and selling it to ad networks so that your competitors can immediately get in front of the people you worked so hard mm -hmm. to get in um, and start talking to. And that's the most recent major business data privacy issue I've seen in that it's it's really sneaky and behind the scenes but it's directly stealing your clients and putting your competitors in front of them. And it appears to be based on services you are paying for. This isn't, this isn't you making a Facebook post about them. Hey, I have this new company I'm talking to and it's awesome. Uh, you know, they want our pull-up service. Um, this is a service you're paying for, for direct one-to-one -one communication uh, with your client. So if you want to put something out there publicly, don't be upset that your clients are going to come and, and take that away. There's tons of tricky little things companies do to identify when a competitor starts talking to another company so they can step yeah. in at that point too, um, based on public information you're putting out there unknowingly. But the private information of a direct 
paid service communication um, being scraped and used to serve ads, that's a massive, massive issue. And uh, honestly, I have no idea other than some sort of legislation, how something like that and the legislation would probably do more harm than good could be handled. Um, yeah, I got it. Got it. You know, uh, I want to ask about uh, customers feeling, uh, for example, you know, uh, legal, illegal, uh, you know, uh, I think for customers, it's hard to find the way uh, about that. But, uh, you know, when you have this feeling that someone uh, is following you to get data about you, and when you uh, got the speech, you can have this feeling and it hurts selling no process so i mean like it's not like uh, how data were collected i mean like it's it can be legal illegal methods it doesn't matter but uh anyway uh after getting this speech you can feel it wow they're stealing uh they follow me you know i'm not interested with that and uh, many customers are angry and don't want to buy can you tell how to find the balance for example if i collect data but i don't want to show that i follow my customer and uh, my product will be valuable in the end so the main mm. question it's not like legal illegal it's more about uh, how to satisfy the customer uh, to pitch something without creating this feeling right so set aside whether practices are the actual legal data privacy things let's just talk about the creepy factor okay the the creepy factor i'd mentioned the target story uh you know they track what you're purchasing um famous famous story early on in doing this and uh i may be getting some details wrong i believe it was target um they they would send you the mailing coupons based on um what they thought you'd be interested in based on your previous purchases in their store. Oh, it looks like, and one of the things they were doing is saying, Hey, it's really valuable to know when someone's pregnant, they're going to be having a baby. We're going to start putting all this baby stuff in front of them. Uh, they're going to buy a crib before they have the baby. Um, so if we can identify when they may be having a baby, we can start serving them with all this baby stuff and you know, most listeners probably know, have heard the story, know where it's going. But um, so they were doing that and they got a very angry customer um, because this guy wanted to know why his teenage daughter was getting all these ads for all uh. this baby stuff. And it turned out that's how he found out his teenage daughter was pregnant because Target knew before he did because they saw her <laughs> buying patterns and saw she is buying all the stuff that pregnant people tend to buy. Yeah, um, I read the study. Yeah, yeah. And, and so huge. And that was Target being very good at targeting. The woman was pregnant. These are products she's probably going to want to buy. But you hit the creepy factor where you're being too good at showing you know so much. Or that you've been able to kind of Sherlock Holmes-esque um, deduce what's going on. Uh, it's like our scoring. I'm sure they have all kinds of scoring and that kind of thing. You look at all these data points and the system says, here's likely something going on in this person's life. And here's the products that would be associated with that. Uh, okay. You know, the guy's buying a whole ton of slim gyms. Let's, let's give him some antacid um, coupons or something like that. The guy's going to start having some heartburn anytime now. Um, whatever the, you know, they, they figure out, here's what you're most likely to buy. We want to put these products in front of you. 
But yes, if you're too good at it, it gets weird. We did a thing early on, um, actually not at this company, at previous, I was at a marketing company in early 2000s, we developed the technique where we figured out, hey, we can figure out people's email addresses because they have all the same convention. We have data. We weren't a list company. I was at a marketing agency. Uh, we, we're buying these lists, but they don't have emails. Instead of doing all the cold calling, let's send these people emails first and then look to do, it was a marketing agency directing leads for high tech companies. Um, so we started doing that and then we figured out, hey, we can actually figure out in the email, we can put an image. And this is early days before open tracking and click tracking and all that stuff. We can put an image in the email. And if we host that image, we'll see who actually opens the email. Okay, that's cool. Then we figured out, so we have our sales reps here and they're cold calling still. We're getting some responses and stuff and they call those, but then they're spending a lot of time cold calling. Um, let's have them call people. Let's. We took one guy, I think, and we tested this with them and said, let's have him be able to see when this image is downloaded so he can call people. Knowing one of the biggest issues you have when calling is the person doesn't answer the phone. They're not at their desk. They're not at their desk. They're not at their desk. Nowadays, there's a lot of other things going on, but back then it was just either they're not at their desk or not. Um, and we said, hey, if they just open their email, they're at their desk. We could really bump up the, you know, the response rates, the, how many times we're getting people on the phone um, by let's let this rep see when the person opens their email. We'll just set a little program here. Boom. Once this, when an image is downloaded, you need code, all this other stuff. It's just going to notify this guy. He's going to be able to see. And then he's going to call the person that just opened their email. Super high rate of connect through. And what we found was that creepy factor. It's really effective, yes, but people are weirded out that they're looking at an email from you and they're getting a call from you. Um, so we had to start telling people like, oh, act like every single time it's a crazy coincidence. Um, nowadays, mm -hmm. that wouldn't work because back then people didn't know you could do this. So they were just kind of creeped out like, whoa, what a crazy coincidence. I'm looking at your email right now and then you, my phone rings and it's you. Um Nowadays, people would know like, oh, you're looking at me and they'd cover the camera on their laptop or whatever it is. Um, so that creepy factor and trying to have information on people that helps you, let's say, sell them, but better serve their needs, helps you identify if they're actually interested in your product, who should be pursued. You have, you know, let's say you buy a list from us and you have 50,000 contacts you could pursue. Okay, how are you going to possibly pursue them all? You shouldn't. You need to find a way to identify which ones are, are the highest priority, most likely to buy. And that is what we call today intent data. But somebody just opened your email and you can call them right now. That's some pretty high intent um, or at least the ability to be there. Having very targeted lists makes it higher intent. But yeah, the more information you have, it can get creepy when you're reaching out to them too accurately and it makes them feel weird because you know so much about them. I mean, imagine you went to go on a date with somebody. Oh, it's the first date, and you got a CIA dossier on them, and you knew everything about them. At some yeah. point, it would start to freak them out. They're like, oh, this guy's taking me to my favorite place. He's wearing my favorite. Everything about what's going on here is my favorite. It's kind of like in the Matrix when they said they made the, uh, the first world they made was ideal, and everybody was happy and perfect but the humans rejected it because it's just not natural for them. It's like, yeah, you'd reject that at some point. You'd be like, this is like some weird twilight zone dream. This is way too creepy. How does this guy have 
check exactly everything perfectly. He's ordering for me. He happened to pick my favorite wine. My favorite music is on. My favorite dessert is all ready. My favorite everything. Oh, the books that are my favorite books are his favorite books. And it would very quickly get super creepy. And you just be like, I'm sorry, but I'm too weirded out. Um, nice. So you want to stay away from that. You want to get enough information to know you're not wasting your time and and then just do your job and go work and don't don't get so much stuff and realize think about it from the client's perspective and think is this creepy and weird you know if i approach it this way and you can always lean back on the hey what a crazy coincidence um if you need to but if you do that every single time you're gonna end up doing it with the same guy twice eventually and then it's really weird it's like, wait, you've used that line last time you were creepy um, and knew too much. And you're like, oops, now I've, now I've been busted. Um, so I'd say don't go overboard on the information. Like, it's not usually a problem having too much, too good information. Um, mm -hmm. But you can try to push it there and then it causes problems. So there, there's a such thing as doing too much. Yeah. Trying nice. too hard. Got it them. becomes weird, suspicious gives people a yucky feeling like once you have enough information to act on something, act on it. Uh, yeah. Awesome. I think that awesome. was kind of where you were, where you were going with that. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I often get the same explanation mm -hmm. from data experts who could tell, you know, it's better to have enough data than over data. And uh, I remember another story from Jeff Bezos when he got data about a new product from a research team. And this team asked him, to give more time to research more deeply to uh, understand this product and uh, he denied he told we have enough data guys we need to test it we need to experiment and this product was alexa almost all homes in the us have this product because jeff bezos got it it's enough to know that this product will uh i don't know uh, many people will buy this product yeah anatoly so many people have it that when you say alexa on a podcast, mm -hmm. you then have to say, Alexa, stop. <laughs> Make sure if you triggered her that you turn her off as well. <laughs> yeah, nice. And uh, Sky, I have the final question. Um, according to your experience, for example, I found that uh, I get high results with clients who understand SEO. Because if they understand, uh, then we can cooperate like a cohesive team, achieve great results. But if they don't, but want to get SEO traffic without understanding, I usually tell them, take my course, it costs like 10, 20 dollars, uh, go to Google, YouTube, learn it. Uh, and uh, uh, I found when people don't understand, uh, it's hard to get results because it's the same like, I don't know, like to lose weight. No, uh, the best coach can't help people to lose weight if they don't understand why they need to eat healthy food, to drink water, to train hard. Uh, and uh, Let's imagine you started today from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills, completely from scratch. What will, will you do today to learn more about collection data? Hmm. Um, a comment on the SEO thing. I'm not an expert in SEO at any means, but that allows me to know that it's, it's a sort of a zero-sum game. If you want to put money into Google Ads and you don't know anything about SEO, oh, Google Ads is different. Okay, if you want to try to build up some, some, some natural traffic, and you don't know anything about SEO, you're competing directly against everybody who does. It's like, so to help yeah. pitch you as what you guys do, you're competing against people who have taken those kind of courses, know how to optimize SEO, and you're gonna lose to them every time. 
So it's a waste of time and money kind of, if you don't know what you're doing, um, it's just your, your competitors are going to win out every time. You have to know what you're doing in that space. If you make a cold call, you can call and talk to the person. It isn't like every time mm -hmm. you call, you're having to compete directly with your competitor being on the line at the same time. It's not a debate between the two yeah. of you. It's not a panel where they, you both get to talk to the customer. It's just you and the customer and you get to try to pitch them on what you do. But SEO, it's crunching what you know about SEO, and what your competitors do and deciding who wins every single time. And yeah, you're going to lose every time if you don't know anything about it. I know, I know little enough about SEO to know if I tried to do some SEO stuff myself, I would lose to my competitors every single time. It's like you have <laughs> yeah. to know what you're doing or you will yeah. always lose very easily when you're yeah. just a total SEO sucker kind of out there. Um, so yeah, definitely yeah, I'm with you on that. Know something about it, but you had a question for me that was separate from that. I'm sorry. Yeah. The question was how to learn the, uh, col uh, about collecting data from scratch without any experience. For example, mm -hmm. if you have a new customer, he doesn't know anything about data, uh, but you understand that, uh, for example, uh, when customer, uh, can't create the task for you, you know, what kind of data? uh the company needs uh and uh because they don't know the basic so can mm. you tell how to learn this basic <laughs> yeah my first advice would be don't why that's why we have companies like our company too you, you come to a data company they should be able to help you you don't know data good they do um tell them what you do here's what we do okay who do you sell to i'm not sure all right well you should kind of have an idea of who you're actually buys your product or who could buy your product, but a good account manager, a data company will be able to look at what your company does. Like what's your website? Hopefully you have a website. If you don't even have a website, don't talk to a data company yet. Um, but if you want to get a list of target contacts to sell to, to market to, and you call a data company, get an account manager, they should be able to help you identify the right target audience for what you do. If you know who it is, if you're like, Hey, yeah, we sell to, you know, CEOs at mid-sized companies. Okay, what's a mid-sized company? It's a lot of, at large companies or small companies. Like, eh, small isn't really a data point. There is no, I'm sorry, we get kind of technical with data. Exactly how many employees in a range? And companies will be able to give you that. So by small, do you mean like, you know, one to 10 employees, one to 50, 10 to 50, 10 to 200? Everybody has a different definition for what those things are. So you got to make sure you're on the same page. If you're using terms like that. And then we used to have sales reps that would go to our data team asking for account for specific data. And they would just put like small companies and say, are you insane within our company? You're going to treat it that you have to be specific. You have to say exactly what you want. These are data points within a search. You there, the search doesn't understand small. That's a very, very relative term. So your, your rep will be able to help you with that kind of thing. They'll be able to um, help make sure you're getting the right data for your company if you have a, a good rep. Um, some companies will just say like, hey, here's our list. Pick one. Okay. Look, if you're marketing to nurses and they say we have a database of nurses. All right. Database of nurses. Great. A couple things you want to ask. You know, what's, hey, what's the geography? Is this U.S.? Is this nationwide? You don't want to buy a database of nurses and find out, oh, these nurses, you know, we're all in Turkey. Oops, I didn't ask the location. How the heck did I get a database of Turkish nurses? Well, you didn't ask <laughs> and they'll say, Hey, you didn't say where you wanted. Ha ha. Gotcha. Uh, and that's how some companies operate, but, uh, you know, make sure you're, you're getting what 
what uh, what you actually need and that account manager should be able to help you. You don't need to learn all about data. That's why data companies exist to do that for you. You know, people come and tell us like, why wouldn't I just go online and find all this information myself if most of it's public? Have at it. What do you want? 10 contacts? How long is it going to take you per contact? You know, Because you know you're getting them for like 10 cents a pop or something like it depends on the uh, volume you buy with a data company. Um, but you know how much of your time? How much do you make an hour? How many contacts are you going to go and find the information on in an hour? That's a waste of your time. That's why companies come and do this. They specialize. You can do everything yourself. Build your own car. Build your own toaster or whatever. No, you go to a company and buy it because it's going to take you longer, more resources than it's worth. You're specialized in your field. You make money there. You spend it on people who specialize in their field because they're going to be way more efficient than you trying to do everything yourself and reinvent the wheel. Every So I say, don't learn it. Just go to a data company. The account manager is going to be your Sherpa. They're going to help you through the process. You know, they're going to help you get to the top of the mountain. Even if you don't know how to climb, that's their job. They know the mountain. You don't have to become a mountain expert. You just, you go to a, a data company and you get an account manager that'll help you get what you need. Make sure you ask some smart questions and, and you're getting exactly what you need. And you see a sample of the data and yeah, these look like our people. Great. Things go wrong. You come back to them. Hey, this is wrong. Adjust it until you get what you need and then you have what you need. But that's why we have data companies, you know, so that you don't have to do everything yourself. Um, don't, nice. don't be that company that wants to do every single thing themselves. Learn some SEO. Great. Do some of your own SEO. Great. Hire a company and outsource your SEO. For many companies, that's a better method. Uh, you know, if you're an SEO person, you need to stay up and learning on how that stuff works. But if you're not, if you have no clue how SEO works, you're going to waste a lot of time and money versus just paying a company to run your SEO. So you're like, how could I learn SEO? I don't go to school, start here. Where do you start? Kindergarten. You learn everything there is to learn. Eventually, you learn about computers and marketing. And, and then you <laughs> learn about all this other stuff. It's like, no, you just pay a company that specializes in that to get it. It'll save you a lot of time and heartache. So best way to learn how to do it, don't bother. Pay somebody else for their expertise. Got it. Got it. Nice. Nice. Good advice. Uh, Sky, it's a big pleasure to get on my show, to learn from you. You always share valuable insights. I need to some time to consume all this information, you know, to collect this data in my mind because, yeah, you gave a lot of tips, valuable tips. Uh, tell our audience the best way how to keep learning from you, how to follow you, how to reach out to you. Hmm. Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me, to follow me. Um, I don't do a ton of posting there, uh, but it's a great place to connect with me. So I'd say uh, just search for me on LinkedIn, my company, Mountaintop Data. It's just mountaintopdata.com. You're looking for data. You look need data penning, data cleaning, any of those kind of things. Data cleaning, for God's sakes, people, clean your database and have information appended to it. There's such horror stories out there. These, This is your best database. Come buy new data from us, great. But first, make sure the stuff you have, your best quality, these are the people that are buying from you and you don't even know what industry they're in or what size company they are. So you can't figure out who your actual best, who's buying the most from you. You don't know because you don't have industries on most of these people or company sizes are like, get your data clean and appended. It's, it's really inexpensive and it allows you to look at the information and see what's really going on. Um, and then, uh, yeah, new contact information and anything like that. Come to us, Mountaintop Data, see if we can help you out, get you samples, costs, counts, all that kind of good stuff. And like I said, LinkedIn, that's about it. I don't really spend any time on any other social media platforms. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. Uh, guys, you can find the link uh, to LinkedIn account in the description below. Uh, listen us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. Love it. So valuable. I recommend to anyone to follow Sky on LinkedIn, to reach out to him and tell that you found this content uh, in our podcast. Okay, guys, love you. See you.